he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is episode number 14 of Bolotified. I just wanted to try something new. We are the one and only live event and virtual event podcast about event engagement and entertainment. And I'm here with my cohort in crime, Alex Apostolidis. Say hi, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm. Uh, you doing okay? Yes, yes. Uh, I am doing. I'm doing well. Where this is a week of change in America, lots happening, and uh, you know, I'm ready to start. I'm ready to start. Uh, you know, moving forward, and I, th- I think like everyone else in this nation. Yes. How about you? Very much so. Kind of looking forward to it. Um, I'm not going to lie with a little bit of apprehension. There's a little bit of, you know, maybe it's nervous mom energy or whatever, just about what's going to happen this week, but also trying to approach it as optimistically uh, and enthusiastically as I can. It all leads to a feeling of helplessness. And I don't, you know, we don't condone. We're not about anger. We're not about guns. We're not about that. We're about event entertainment. All right. We have a great guest coming on. So I don't want to go on too much longer, but last week we introduced one of our segments. It's Risky B. Oh my God. It's a Risky B. Yes, we did. Right. So I'd like to just take a moment before we introduce our guest to give one of the examples of a Risky B. Oh my God. It's a risky way. That I think is worth some discussion with the hope of inspiring some thought and some discussion, some questions maybe, as well as some action. All right. So uh, the idea here is that we're going to unravel something that could be risky to your business. And so I'd like to talk about the force majeure clause and COVID-19. Because as Alex can attest, when this befell us back in March. There were cancellations and cancellations. The right thing to do was to cut your losses and cancel and allow people, you know, what in in our estimation to allow people to recoup any losses and to work with clients uh, on a one-by-one basis, uh, you know, individually. But I believe there were some who didn't take that route and, you know, uh, or couldn't uh, for one reason or another. And I'm sure that there is uh, there are cases that are still to be heard. There, there will be court cases about the cancellations that have occurred. And there will be litigation about the cancellations that have occurred because of COVID-19. So I thought, you know, let's talk about our force majeure clauses and if they really protect us in the case of a COVID-19. And what I learned is they don't. Most of them don't, unless the language is really, really specific, Alex. And that's, that's, that's the th- good to know. 
Yeah. First of all, you need a force majeure clause. There are some common laws that will protect you uh, if you don't have a force majeure clause in your contract, but it's really always better to have one because your contract is a promise to perform. And unless you clarify that in a contract, that promise has to be fulfilled no matter what no matter what the circumstances are, including an act of God, even if it means you have to do it at a cost to yourself or at a really, it's really burdensome for you or the, the person who signed the contract to, to give that service, even under those terms, you signed a contract, you said you would deliver, you have to deliver. So the force majeure is the clause that relieves you of that. And the force majeure is basically a list of trigger events that relieves you of your uh, promise to perform, right? And a lot of contracts have them. But here's the thing. We call them acts of God. And a lot of people uh, will use the terms uh, back and forth, acts of God and uh, force majeures, right? Mm -hmm. You hear it a lot. We We've... Yeah. Tell me what your impression of an act of God is. Well, to me, an act of God is something outside the human control. So, you know, I can't control an earthquake. I can't control a flood. I can't control a tornado. Okay. So those are three distinct examples of an act of God. Very interesting. Is there anything else you can't control? Well, I can't control a pandemic. <laughs> I can't nope. control the, you know, the, the uh, uh, international spread of disease. Uh, no, nope. but they're not the same. And that's the thing about force majeure clauses. They have to be very clear. And a force majeure is more than just a weather event. It is something that is out of your control. It, it is also something that is unforeseen, something that you don't expect necessarily to happen. But courts look at those clauses, those force majeure clauses very narrowly, and they look at act that the definition of act of God the same way. And a lot of states have their own take on that definition as it is. So you want to be very clear in your force majeure clause about what it is that could keep you from delivering a service if it is your contract. You want to be very clear. Uh, if it's a weather condition, great. If it's a pandemic, great. If it's a government shutdown, uh, you know, an enforced shutdown such as we're in now, mm -hmm. that is how it should be listed. Uh, but having one does not give you protection over all of them. Because there's something in the law that I also sound, found very interesting, because there's actually a doctrine called the eusdem generis, which is Latin, and it means of the same kind. So if you just use a catch-all in your description, in your force majeure, like uh, for example, if you say uh, acts of God, including tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, etc., or other acts of God without defining what they are, the court will define that as being, well, they're all weather events. So with this doctrine, you use them generous, it's weather events and anything similar to a weather event or anything contained within a weather event, nothing outside of it. Wow. So you have to be very careful. You have to be clear. So this is a good time to review your contracts, review your force majeure clauses in them. If you use an attorney, 
talk to your attorney about how to make sure you're covered uh, in your contracts using the words disease, pandemic, epidemic, public health crisis, state of emergency, you know, those key terms, uh, and avoid an over-reliance on the act of God phrase in itself. Remember that there are doctrines in place and that courts in different states uh, define acts of God differently. And those of us who work internationally ha have to keep that in mind. You know, if you're working in a different state, you should look at what that state considers to be a force majeure. If you're going there and you see that there could be an impact in some way, even if there can't be, listen, this is act of God, unforeseen, right? Uh, craft language to make it clear. And also, this is interesting, you know, the, the courts are helped to settle disputes, right? They're there to help settle disputes. So part of that is the, the willingness to make retribution, to make amends, you know, to make it work, if you will. And it's very interesting that uh, people don't normally think about that. They think about what was done to them, what they lost, uh, you know, how they were impacted. But um, it's key to remember that when these things happen, it's in your right always to recommend a, a way to save the date, if that's possible, uh, some way to remedy the act of God that doesn't necessarily leave you in court. You know, you have to take some action. It's a good thing to remember, and it's a good thing to document your losses and make sure that they're documented. And, you know, time is not just, it's not one of those losses that I think people really take seriously or the courts take seriously. Uh, so listen, I got that from the National uh, Law Review. Uh, it's a great place to get information and you can find them at natlawreview.com. And uh, there's even more information. If you're interested, we'd be happy to send it to you. Uh, and uh, enough about that, enough about our risky bee. Oh my God, it's a risky bee. How about some savvy bee? Tell us who we have. Oh, okay. So um, we have, our guest today is internationally recognized event production, destination management and hospitality leader. She's been featured in over 85 publications. That's pretty phenomenal in my book. And uh, interestingly, she's appeared on David Tutera's Party Planner and the first season of The Apprentice. Hmm. Yeah, right? Very interesting. <laughs> she was named Biz Bash's inaugural top 500 people in events and most influential professionals. Mm -hmm. And she is. She, yeah, she, she definitely is. She received many, she's received over her career, many, many honors. Um, a couple of highlights being Event Solutions Event Planner of the Year, the Samaritan mm -hmm. Service Award, and that was for her support after 9-11, and the mm -hmm. Boy Scouts of America Good Scout Award, for which she is only one of three women to receive that award. She's very proud of that. Yes, as well she should be. I, <laughs> as a female, yay. Go, you know, go, go, go. And she's been inducted into the member of Event Solutions and Fitzbash's Hall of Fame. She serves as an active board of director of NYC and Company, 
the official destination marketing organization and convention and visitors bureau as the primary key representative of the event sector. Mm -hmm. She's president and partner of Empire Force Event. Please welcome the event industry's beloved Jacqueline Bernstein. Hello, Jacqueline. I love you said bring a lot of heart. Really? Really? I got this. I got this. You give me the questions, I'll answer. And me and Anthony go a ways back. Yes. Yes, we yes, do. In fact, in fact, I have to tell you, Jacqueline, it was actually, uh, <laughs> I was trying to remember, when did I meet her? When did I meet Jacqueline? It's been so long. And then today, I was taking a tinkle just before starting the show. <laughs> I was pishing. Yeah. It doesn't mean like gay. Gay means go. I got a gay pishing. Okay. A pishy. I was pishing. Does that work? Pishy. I was taking a pish. Uh, and uh, yes, that I was doing. And it hit me. Oh, I had this memory of you and I in the elevator bank at the Hyatt in St. Louis in August of 2001. Let that sink in for a minute. August of 2001. And you asked me if I had met Jeff Kelpak. Did I meet you then or did I know you already? I'm not really sure. I just remember that you connected Jeff and I, but Jeff and I had history that we didn't know about. Syracuse together, right? Right, but not. we went to Syracuse at the same time and people would confuse us for one another but we'd never met. We had never met. That's why I asked you if you knew him because you two reminded me of each other. As that's so weird. In the elevator bank and not a month before 9-11. Not a month, it was weeks before 9-11. Yeah. Wow. Wow, I'll never forget it now. It was I, years ago. But there's more important stuff to talk about because you know the world is sort of turned upside down again. And uh, right? And there you are right in the middle of it again at New York City, uh, you know, the first to suffer, the first epicenter here in the States, right? That must have in itself been dra uh, traumatic and difficult. Then also in a city that's not really conducive to, oh, let's just, you know, take everybody outside and do everything, you know, uh, all natural, you know. In, in winter now. Yes, in winter. So, uh, but you are on the forefront of New York's uh, effort to gain business back in a new way, of course, with new protocol. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing with New York Company. We saw the video. It's fabulous. It <laughs> makes me want to be there so bad. It does. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you don't come visit here. I mean, San Diego to me doesn't even seem like a real place. We're here in the map. <laughs> We're here. The weather is constant. It doesn't change. There's palm trees. I decorate my bathroom in palm trees because it seems like a fantasy place. See? New York is where it's real. Yeah, but see, you have to live in your bathroom to have a little fantasy. I just walk I outside. So. Oh, I'm going to, I go back into my bedroom for the real fantasy. Um, and, and I'll tell you what brings it full circle when you're talking about New York being the epicenter. We just opened today. This is why I wasn't um, as responsive on my emails as I should have been. I normally am. So we have a, contract now we're working with an organization that's working with the city of new york and today we opened the vaccination site in elmhurst which was the actual elmhurst is in queens and if you watch the news that was the hospital we didn't do it at the hospital we did it at the school but that was the epicenter of the epicenter 
here in New York City. Wow. And we just, so it's funny we're talking today because we just helped open that up. So we just confirmed this business within the past week. And um, it's an honor to be able to service with staff and with our logistics, the most important event on earth right now, which is vaccination centers. Yes. Not glamorous, but it is the most important thing that we do. Whether or not you think you should get the vaccination or you're going to, because there's a lot of politics around that, we're doing what the public health needs to have done. You know what? That's, I, that's a go ahead, Alex. No, I just I I'm I just I I just want to say thank you. I that's amazing. And I, I hope there are more people like you around the country and the world working so hard to help facilitate that. Thank you. Well, I think quite honestly, you uh, could be a role model in this effort and people should be listening with their ears open because, you know, there is an opportunity to help our governments here in establishing the right way to make these things happen from a transient point of view, getting people in, getting people out. And I'm assuming that you're helping them with infrastructure and staffing and protocols and all of the things that event planners know. Exactly. They, I mean, they, they had it organized because they've done corporate health, um, go in on your, to your company and have a you know, flu vaccination day before all this happened. And then they were doing COVID testing. Um, so they had the bones of it. It doesn't have to be a pretty event, but it has to be logistically organized. And that's where we come in. Or they didn't know where to rent the tables, you know, instead of just buying or putting up drape, uh, protecting for the, you know, HIPAA laws. Um, so, and moving a line, whether we're moving a line at a, a buffet station or registration at a event or people that need to check in and being hospitable. And we want to add to that morale. This is, this is very important. You want to keep the people that are working 12 hour shifts, the intake of your registration and then giving the vaccine as a nurse. This is, this is monumentous. Uh, Robert, as you know, my business partner, Robert Holsmeyer, um, was saying how there, this is going to be talked about for the rest of our lifetimes. We're mm. going to be telling grandchildren, or I might be telling the young guy that I'm dating, you know, <laughs> you didn't know about this. Or his grandchildren. Uh, his, yeah, <laughs> which might not be ours, but, uh, right. might, but we'll talk about them. We'll talk <laughs> to them about it. Um, but how, you remember when? You know, remember we used to see the fallout shelter signs? And I remember very young, you know, having like the fallout sh shelter drills, but that's what this is going to be like. And I think that we're part of history here and we were at the beginning of it when it all happened. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but I also got involved with, we, we, we put together with our company, event pros ready to serve because I'm sitting here in New York, I'm watching the ambulances, um, I'm watching the news and I'm watching nothing happening outside my windows. And I'm thinking I have to do something. And I kept saying to my colleagues at NYC company, you know, I sit on the board of directors, mm -hmm. which is the official marketing agency of the city of New York. Um, and, and, and it's a quasi governmental reports to the mayor. And I said, I'm just going to go to the hospital and show up and see how I can volunteer. And they said, no, it doesn't work that way. I said, I know that, but I can't just sit here and, and not do work and not help with the effort for what's going on, which is right now, which is the, obviously the health concern. Right. So we put together event pros ready to serve, which was just a team of people that would work on our team that we said to them, if we got the call from the city or a hotel or something to help mobilize and help with logistics, are you willing to help? And some people said, yes, no, I have elderly family. We had a whole list. 
And a client of ours that works in the fashion field doing fashion events, they mobilized something called From Fashion with Love. And they got donations from companies that do t-shirts and sweatpants and sports bras and socks and facial lotion and just stuff, lots of great stuff. And we then worked with them as they coordinated with all the visiting nurses. You know, we had in New York, thousands of visiting nurses. If you were a hotel yeah, owner, you really get that contract to be able to work. Excuse me. That's what kept you booked as a, uh, uh, with the visiting nurses. And we, in April, May, and June, put together 3,000 gift bags and then distributed gift bags at events. So we had a DJ, very physically distanced. Yes. We had temper repeat, which we printed over the weekend. We had signage and we had staff fully masked, fully gloved. Um, nurses are probably the worst at doing physical distancing, but this was at the height of the pandemic. So we really watched and we gave 3000 gift bags out to these nurses to thank them for coming here. So now it's full circle to be here now. The vaccination sites just opened in New York on January 5th. We started working on this on Monday, which was January 11th. We just confirmed it on the Saturday and here we are and today a site opened up. So if something's gonna happen in this city that is monumental and I don't know, worldwide and I need to be involved and I wish I was doing more. Um, that That's my only upsetness, I guess. How could I do more and how could I be involved uh, and, and take care of this city that I, I love now more than yes. ever. That sign is actually was an, um, oh God, what is his name? Milton Glazer, you know, did the I Heart New York back in the seventies. Right. And after September 11th, he altered it to this. You could see a little burn mark here. Yes. Um, oh, I'd be good like on TV news because I don't even have to turn around. And no, no, now. you're good. You're very good with <laughs> your left arm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I'm a righty. And he changed it to, to this after September 11th. And we um, got them and we've been giving them out since September 11th. And I still have many left over. And when I spoke at the first live event in New York, which was made by Nectar, give a little shout out to them, uh, people that were, worked at Biz Bash and people that worked at special events. Mm -hmm. And it was about 30 people in total. It was a panel. I gave them out to everyone there. So you got to still love New York. Um, it's, it's challenging here. And I don't want to disparage my city. I represent my city. All cities are challenged. Business is hard. To, if I can't worry about my business keeping open, how could a restaurant be open? Right? How, how, how right. could that stay open? It's just, it's hard. And I heard you speak to that. You know, that it's about a really wide array of people that we're talking about. It's just not those that own event companies or do entertainment. It's the cooks and the housekeepers and the event staff and the housemen. And I mean, we could go down the line, right? Tons yes. of people. Well, I and what you're also alluding to is all those tons of people were all the names that we utilized on our empty event activation Times Square. So everything's going on with the pandemic and all of you out there might've received on your social media, um, media, there's the Brooklyn accent, media, media. I add R's to everything. It's okay, we all like right. the R. Can you understand? Uh -huh. Can it's you understand? <laughs> of course we understand. <laughs> so you also, it was in March, there was an, uh, on your social media, it was to fill out a change.org petition to save the events industry. And that morphed into those people, Isaac Rothwell, give you a shout out to him, to sign a live events coalition. And in May, I got a call with this. You're sneezing on the truth. No, I'm bless sorry. You. Yes. God bless. Oh, okay. whatever you do. God bless. Um, uh, I won't be a good newscaster because then I interrupt. It's myself, okay. It's so okay. Go on. Right. <laughs> so, Better than me interrupt. So, 
during it. Okay, so the Live Events Coalition started. I got the call from Nancy Schaefer, who I've known probably as long as I've known you. Uh, actually, yeah, probably around then. And said, would you like to um, be, you know, be involved with the New York chapter? At the same time, they were also calling Anthony, um, Anthony Girardi. Yes. And um, they called both of us. And he said, if he was going to do something in New York like this, he can only do it with Jack Bernstein. And I said, I don't have an infrastructure because unfortunately I had a furlough my entire company. So it made sense. He became president. I became executive vice president. We started a live events coalition of New York, New Jersey, mm -hmm. part of the national live events coalition. Got pull our board together and you might have all seen out there that are listening that there were these empty event activations all around the country and new york did the first empty event activation where where else are we going to do it times uh, square well you guessed because it is the most famous uh, public space and busiest public space in the world and it was my ask with NYC and company that they just gave us Times Square to do this. You don't get Times Square for free normally and logistically, but they knew this was important because no one's going to the hotel there. No one's going to right. Broadway there. No one's doing marketing activities. It's like a ghost town. I mean, if you think about how it normally oh. is, it's, go ahead. So there was a lot of heart there. We, we, we shy away from the word ghost town because that was said in a, in a big public arena on something oh. we saw, and we don't want to use that phrase, but there was heart there, but it was predominantly empty. So I'm not chastising you, but I want to. No, it's wanna, quite all right. It was you to, you're, you're on brand. You'd want to remain on brand. So, I get um, it. so we did this on July 31st and we set up an empty event with uh, about 50 tables representing 500 people. We spatially figured that out. And uh, it was our first rally to show whether it be the people that were there or hope for the media. The, the media, the media, the media to see what was going or not going on in our industry. And we had about 400 signs and we had about 70 or so different signage that would say live event line cook, unemployed, live event, uh, you know, graphic designer uh, cannot work. And we right. listed as many professions as we could in our industry to show how it affects so many different people. And I focus on the corporate event side, owning an event design production destination magic company, but I obviously recognize how the social side was set. And the funny part is the social side seems to have been doing more work than the corporate side because the corporate side are risk adverse. Yes. adverse. And the right. social side, there was, you know, some events maybe were not so kosher, if you know what I mean. And right. they were breaking some rules, which we, the Live Events Coalition, wanted was took a stand and said, that's ruining it for all of us. Mm -hmm. But it was exciting to get Times Square. And then in addition, why stop there? Me and my big mouth, I asked for Godzilla, which is the largest billboard in Times Square, and then got that. And we had an hour's worth of programming. And then in September, the um, Red Alert Restart, which were predominantly people on the production side, um, technical production people. And they were working with a lot of the uh, gig workers. They had an activation around the country where they lit about 1,700 buildings red. If you're going to come to New York, What's the original building that lit in colors? The Empire State Building. Yes. So again, with NYC coming in my ass, we got the Empire State my Building goodness. confirmed it that day to be lit red. Beautiful. So I can do a lot of great things for clients when they do decide to come back here. It seems I could do all this stuff complimentary, but I think my asks yeah, are out. I think so. <laughs> so got to invest in us. But one of the most important signs for our um for our activations, and this is a big phrase of mine, that health and welfare means no live events. Then what about our health and welfare? This was our rallying cry throughout right. the entire year that we're gonna follow the rules, we're not going to work, but in order for us to survive to the other 
side, not what's going to happen on the other side. We need to be protected. And obviously it took a while, longer than we all wanted to get the second PPP and other type of funding um, and not to take away from the payroll protection. We think that's important for employees. I mean, I right. have employees with me 20 years, you know, 21 years, 18 years, 13 years, but it was almost that like you were just paying them, but they couldn't work anyway. They were working for the future. So when you bring your events here in 2022, what can we do for you now? Clients thinking, I, I, I don't know, but we paid them. So we need other things to make sure, other uh, services to make sure that small businesses are going to survive. Cause I'm not shy to cry that I've been very, very frightened through all this. I, I didn't think we just, I, I want to credit Lisa Gardner for this. We didn't come this far to just come this far. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that quote. Great okay. phrase that she's used. Uh, yeah. So I stole it. I do love it. And I completely agree with you. And um, we we did a little research on your event in, in July. And so we got a picture of uh, the billboard. <laughs> We're not talking about like a billboard people. We're talking about an LED billboard. That's what, 100 feet long by 77 feet. How big was this monster? I actually don't know the footage, but it's larger than a football field and it hangs on the Marriott Marquis Hotel. I want to give him a shout out. I'm uh -huh. see there. And when it's lit, you can't, because they have advertising it's, underneath. It's massive. It's the largest. It's 77 feet. 77. 77 feet wide. Okay. That's yeah. incredible. And we had an hour's worth of programming there. Um, and media caught it and people saw it in our industry and it was captured in the trades and uh, we got the word out there and then all the rolling other rallies happened throughout the country and, and I, I want to mention we were trying to be very res respectful I think we all remember what was going on in our country at that time starting mm -hmm. in June um, uh, with the, the George Floyd marches and, and protests and, and what transpired there we did not want to ride on that coattails as a live events coalition. Oh, let's just do a rally. Everyone's doing one. Um, and I don't want to be, I want to be respectful of that. And that's something that we wanted to wait till the right time. So we did it right at the end of July. Um, but uh, so it was an interesting time for New York City and, and watch what was going on. And of course, when that was happening, my apartment was seen on CNN, CNN and I had looting right underneath my building. And I'm the one who called the police because they broke windows and, um, they actually told me to step back or someone looked up and saw me the 911 operator. I said, someone just saw me. She said, please step back. So it's incredible what you can deal with when you're dealing with so much um, just during that particular time. And I then had a client at the end of the summer that decided because of what was happening here, separate from the pandemic, that they pulled a project that was going to happen here in 2022. Oh, and it had nothing to do with the pandemic, but it had to do with they just felt uncomfortable with their company and their leadership and coming to New York and what they would see in the news with unfortunately the bail reform. And uh, unfortunately there were a lot of um, beating up on police officers and it just, it, it wasn't good on, when I say either side, I don't want to be about sides. It just wasn't right. good for people naturally, no matter what you believe, it was a challenging time here. And I felt that it was patriotic to say, you're still gonna keep your business coming here. No matter what would happen, that's a long time, 19 months to make a decision. Right. So that was going to be a saving grace for our company. And um, it was very unfortunate. This is my it back it does off. seem a little uh, premature to make yes. that decision, especially in light of what's been happening, you know? I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, we want to respect everyone's um, political beliefs or whatever they want to believe or whatever they want to support. Um, I just felt I become kind of this reporter of New York City and I would share it on 
Facebook and Instagram. And some people said, but you're showing something that's not good. That's not good for the city. I said, I'm just reporting. I'm not telling you this is how I feel. But I think that people look to me as a as an influencer. I don't know, leader, mm -hmm. a, a yenta. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're going <laughs> to get the word out and to hear what's going yeah, on. It's important. Yeah, it's because important. you're connected also. Well, you're you're connected outside of New York as well. Which I am. I have yeah. people. And you're part of me, and and you're well, trusted. Well, yes. thank you. I appreciate. It. I'm telling it like and it loved. is. Loved. And I, I I love that, and I'm honored to be loved. And I had someone. I actually have to tell you. I'm going to give a shout out to Richard Carbati's sister. Um, who said, you need to come out of the city. And that's Evan and Jordan's aunt and Cindy. I hope they listen to this. Who said, you need to come out to the suburbs. We got to get you out of the city. And I said, no, no way. I am not leaving here. My city needs me. I need to stay here. Um, and I don't know if you've also seen, which I think has become part of who I am. You know, restaurants didn't open for outdoor dining in New York until much later. I think in the right. beginning of July. We were one it of the took last. took a long time. Yeah, I remember. So you couldn't, you could only get takeout. Now, granted, the weather got warm, so maybe they'd stick a table on the street and you can grab something, but you couldn't really eat there. Maybe you can grab a drink. Kind of the liquor laws got a liquor laws, laws, yeah, whatever right. you say that word. The depends, rules. On where, depends on where you are in the yeah, liquor. Right. And, and who cares what the rules are? There are no rules. You can really drink outside, but Madison Square Park is down from where I live, which is across the street from the Flatiron Building and across the street from the original Italy. And the original Shake Shack. I know you eat Shake Shack all over the country. We love it. Yeah, it's right in down the block from me in the park. So I we started going there. I have to give a shout out to my friend and client Michelle Maidanek. We just started going there, and we amassed a group of friends and family, industry, not neighbors. And every Friday at five thirty, we would meet and we'd go to Shake Shack and. I first bought a drink the first week, and I said, I ain't got no money to be buying mm -hmm. drinks. Right. Beer, well, first, I don't drink beer, too fat, and but wine. So I bring my own. So I've been bringing my own since May. We just did our 37th week there at 5.30 every Friday. I don't care what the weather is. We show up. I had a gig in December, our first gig since February and December. We came after the gig, even though it was late. Christmas Eve, even though I'm a nice Jewish girl, but I was going to family in Brooklyn on Christmas Eve. Christmas I went that morning and I went the day before Christmas is for everyone. So we keep doing that. And during that, I met this rabbi, Rabbi Levy, who now everyone knows is the rabbi. I've been videoing him. People see him all over the world, ask where the rabbi is, but he can't come during the winter because Shabbos, sundown starts earlier. But we made an event out of adversity and we have a gathering. We're six feet apart. People have brought entertainment there. There's an entertainment company that brings a band. Uh, it's just been, it's, you know what? It kept us sane because we yes. just stay inside. We bring our own drinks and we're, you know. So Jacqueline, are you aware of the Event Safety Alliance and the work they're doing? Yes, I am aware of the Event Safety Alliance. And I'm aware of the Live Events Coalition. Actually, I got her the position with us, a COVID compliance officer. Uh, Jody mm -hmm. Katzman, she's working with the Event Safety Alliance, representing the Live Events Coalition with them and the work that they're doing for COVID compliance and how we can then all safely open. Nice. They did just uh, produce a reopening guide, which was very encouraging, I thought, because it showed that with precautions in place, the uh, the chance of infection mm -hmm. goes way down. There's a big, big uh, curve there, if you will. Yes. So it was really, uh, I found it to be a, a bit uplifting. Of course, the vaccine will, you know, ensure that we get to move forward, hopefully. You know, it was interesting. 
Oh, go ahead, Alex. I was just gonna say the thing that I really loved about that was how it described um, transmission rate depending on the situation. And even, you know, somebody who is unmasked and far away, but the difference between somebody speaking as opposed to singing mm -hmm. or say, you know, blowing, you know, using a, a, a wind instrument or a horn, <laughs> that type of thing. So it, it was really eye-opening and very, very informational. There was something interesting I saw in the news. It might have been Anderson Cooper. There was something where it said, for people that talk loud, that's a way that you spread the, the virus. And I took uh, a picture and I said, oh my God, I am in so much trouble. <laughs> I am a super spreader. I don't know any other way to talk but this. I remember growing up and I would say, mommy, stop yelling. I'm not yelling. This is how I talk. This is essentially how I talk. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. But I'm a very good mask wearer. I always wear my mask. Um, and you know how everyone pulls it down to drink this way? I did a whole video on Thanksgiving. I pushed it up. I made it like a headband. I think, why not? Everything else is being done differently now. Let's let's start a trend. Make the In best. You know, you were also very articulate wearing the mask in the video that you did with New York Company. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about a video that we just saw. It's about a 10 minute New York promo that you did. And you wore the mask in some of much of the video, actually. I wore it and everywhere but my intro. Could hear exact, I could hear you crystal clear. At that, so that's why it's good then to be a projector about that. Um, right. I have to give credit to NYC and company was doing um, uh, a webinar out there for corporate planners. And they had asked me to do a video. And um, yeah, give us a, a, a project to do during a pandemic where I have no employees, I have no funds, but now I have to make a video. And they said, well, you know, you can just do it on your phone. I said, uh, do, do you know me? I'm not just doing it on my phone. So shot for four days and edited for five days to get the sound bites down. And now I want to do part two and three because I obviously didn't get enough of New York City in there. You know, it's one thing to say to a venue, give us a hotel of your venue. Excuse me, give us a video of your venue or your hotel or your restaurant. When you ask an event destination magic company to do that, the entire city is yes, out of you. Yes. So I, I, yes, that's what I needed to capture. And, I, and it was during the holidays, so it was nice to show off the holiday spirit in New York and- um, And some beautiful, beautiful spaces. First of all, the Ellis Island Museum, uh, the Ziegfeld Room, which is gorgeous. Uh, that new hotel, is it the lot? Or the latte, the hotel. Uh, it's the New York Palace. It's the Lotte New York the Palace. Lotte, excuse me. It used, New York, it used to be the Helmsley New York Palace, but the Lotte had bought it a couple of years ago. And it's the largest luxury hotel in New York City right now. Looks gorgeous. So I refer DMC there and the Zickfield Ballroom, which was the largest single movie theater still existing in New York City. It's uh, exquisite. That's, and those are just some of the things we could have shown you. Yes. yes, Ellis Island, Statue of Liberty were also a preferred event DMC. So yes, I did go to my friends and family in the industry, but I have a lot of them. There's so much to see, and that's what we're trying to show clients. And when you come back to keep that in their minds. Oh yeah, there's so much to see and do. And, and New York is just waiting for people to come, right? Open arms, waiting for, I think we're all waiting for, you said something actually, you said, you know, everybody's, nobody's got work. And when you said that, you meant nobody because across the country, we're feeling it. It's not just in New York. There is no work because nobody is ready to make a move. We're all just waiting 
to find out what's next, except those people who felt that, you know, compelled and went virtual. As a DMC, what do you think about the whole virtual? You know, movement? it's interesting. Um, I give a lot of credit to my colleagues who went virtual. Let me let me step back. I actually just did a couple of virtual events last week. Give a shout out to Colin Putnam. Um, which was just some entertainment, which Anthony, you can do, you've been doing it, right? You could just, mm -hmm. instead of the entertainment in the ballroom on the stage, now you're doing a virtual setting and this is the stage. When I say that's easy, that it's, it's easy transferable as long as then the technology is there. So the simplest version is you can do like a Zoom that we're doing here. But I give credit to my colleagues that invested time, effort, money to then come up with a platform or avatars or when you come online and then you're in the trade show and then the ballroom's there with the client's um, logo up top and then you go and you sit down at a table and you're moving, there's a lot of great- There are a lot of products. products out there. And there was a big rush on that. Remember, does everyone remember, you know, oh, yes. April and May and how that was all happening? And I helped some clients by vetting some of those, but I would never profess, as you said, as a destination manager company to say, we're the experts in that. I am too touchy feely personally. I could talk, but I am not going to then all of a sudden invest with, I don't even know what I would invest it in with. <laughs> I, there was no pandemic pot of cash sitting somewhere. Otherwise I would have paid my employees until we could do, but there were so many great companies that I wanted to make sure I was educated on. And then suggested to our companies. And I still give credit to those companies because they're refining them and they're coming out, I guess, with oh, 2.0. Yeah. So there's a lot of great companies. So if I'm doing a virtual event, we can always find whatever the client needs. Let's say use something from Blonde Entertainment and put it into whatever platform that the client either is using presently or they maybe need, hey, do you know a platform that can help us with this? So I what give credit. What about future? The future, how do you see it playing in? To events the virtual it's going to be it's going to be hybrid it's it, it, it there you know there are some clients that said we were doing hybrid even before this some people would come to the event and then we'd webcast it a lot of technology um i you know the vaccine i mean we know what the numbers are today um how many have been distributed um we have 330 million people in this country and hopefully we can do that what was it um 100 million within the next 100 days however that's going to happen but yeah. it's going to be within this year. I, I have clients that are in pharma that are saying, oh, it's not just because the, the vaccine's out. We're just going to start planning. So they have to do it hybrid. And I think when people come back, and I'm not telling you anything, all of you, all of yous listen out there that you, you don't know, <laughs> that especially in the corporate side, mm -hmm. that there's going to be, there, there's going to be a lot of protocol and they're going to be concerned. I, I, they don't want to go to a meeting in October because they want to be able to go see their grandparents in December for Thanksgiving this year, and they're going to opt not to go. And the options there, we have now seen it's going to be a year in March, how you can operate and work not going into an office. Um, I, I was very fortunate that BizBash had me MC their BizBash stage at the Connect Show, which truly was the first live industry show and trade show and that happened back in October in Orlando. And I was very honored that they brought me there to do that. And it's one thing that during the day, you could do the sessions and someone could sit in their jammies and watch it all online. But what happens to the nighttime events when things do start to open up and there is a reception and we're all physically distanced and probably still wearing masks as Dr. Fauci, a nice Italian boy from Brooklyn, not far from where I grew up is from. Mm -hmm. that how's that all going to work and I said 
I think you're going to have to maybe need some need, you need someone I don't know like me that might have to walk around with a camera crew to get that hybrid observer that's home to be a part of that reception that it's one thing to be in class all day but it's another thing to maneuver around and get the feel and I think we're all going to have to think how that could work yes I I am a proponent that it is really yet undefined what that will look like a hybrid event and it will come in many different forms and fashions depending on the need the goals the objectives but um, it's going to be hard, I think, for clients to maneuver around the cost and to get used to the additional cost that it's going to require to engage two audiences. Very true. And they all thought that even just virtual, well, you're not setting up the room, you don't have the food and beverage, Aye. tech is less. And there is so much behind the scenes that needs to be done. You still do need a stage manager even just today, put you in the waiting room, in the green room, get you ready, get you prepped, do the tech. So imagine I'm just one speaker that you're having when you have a hundred speakers um, and also around the world, you know, it's, it's very interesting how maybe they don't have to fly. You're not paying those expenses or even name talent. They could sit at home, perform for you. So you save money there, but there's other investments that need to be done in clients yes. to be very smart. And I've always felt that clients need to be respectful of our profession. I've been screaming about this and on my soapbox for many years. And I'm going to sidebar here. I got very involved with the DMC coalition that started back in May, where although I am a founding member of ADMI, the Association of Destination Manager Executives International, like I'm a founding member of ILEA, the International Live Events Association, I got involved with the Live Events Coalition and now the DMC Coalition, because these are organizations that started specifically due to the pandemic. And one of the major focuses is to let clients know, you want us to plan, let's say that 2022 meeting, but you can't just deposit me like you did in the olden days from last February back for because I'm depositing the venue or the entertainment. You now need to pay us progress payments to make sure that we survive to the other side. If you're having us call a venue and figure out what the floor plan is or whatever it may be, the work that we're doing now, you need to invest and pay us. And I think clients need to understand to your point about virtual hybrid, whatever it's gonna look like, that there's an investment to make sure that it runs right. Otherwise, just get your friends, just do a Zoom like this, like you're doing with your friends. And that's yeah. fine, it could be very simple. It doesn't always have to be um, very intense, but if you wanna make it look like, as, as Rob would say, essentially we're doing broadcast like a TV show. That's uh, what we're doing. TV news. And how they do it. We need to be tight and make sure that it's done. And we're the event professionals to do it, which ties in to us being involved with vaccination centers that event professionals, no matter what you're giving out, a vaccine or a trade show, we we see it in a different way than than others do. And so so here we are, hopefully, hopefully making a full circle. Hopefully. And I do see that there, like you uh, look at the positive side. There's a positive side too this and that is associations will be able to expand their reach and have you know start to charge for an audience that's virtual which could help to pay or defray some of these expenses people will use the tools uh in an effective manner and there'll be manner and there'll be ways to expand on them so i'm excited for when it comes back i just wish it would come back already we all do. And I'm trying to, it's interesting, we're doing this um, podcast interview chit chat, here we are in January. But if we had this discussion back in, you know, April, May, June, 
sometimes I'm a different personality. I think we all went through a lot of challenges and I, you know, I'm fun and I like to go out and let's have a drink when I bring my own now because no one's buying anything. And uh, um, we've all gone through a lot of emotions. And I think we all woke up every day um, scared and it was like just repetitive. And what are we going to do? And I would get up, I'd work out, I'd take a shower, I'd sit at my computer. And people said, what are you working on? I said, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, when I'm busier now, I'm just busier in a different way. Everyone's connecting, everyone's calling. Uh, so while we're waiting for it to come back, we all needed to keep active and, and be, and that my activity was about the industry. I knew God willing, the clients will find us when um, they, they would come back. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, excuse me, about associations. And I think what's, what we all should remember is that the associations were really poorly hit because that is seen as an extemporaneous investment. Right. I'm not going to pay my dues to XYZ organization. I can't afford the 200, 500, whatever it may be. But a lot of associations use the word, I can't stand pivot but they went and realized the way they're gonna reach. You said it, Anthony, their, their constituents. And they didn't only just do education and reach outs to members, they did it to non-members, was by offering a lot of free programming. And I think we all need to remember that. So when the Live Events Coalition started, they had a $25 membership. I didn't wanna call it membership, I wanted to call it support and donation because I don't wanna take away from other event organizations. Um, but they were doing it so that anyone can join. And even if you can afford that, they were, and that's fair because no people might say, I don't want to give 25 bucks because I need that maybe to commute or do something. Um, there were, there were people that are going to help them. There were people, some companies donated, here's a thousand bucks to help with that to people that want to be involved. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever want to forget that because something that I, I really want people to know is I grew up on welfare and food stamps and I know what it's like to do without and to still be who you are. And I have made some very harsh decisions with my company that are making me do without. And I, people are gonna laugh. I didn't turn my air conditioner on really all summer. They're like, what are you crazy? But I had these two fans at my feet and I kind of work them as if I was driving stick. I also don't drive, I never had a driver's license. So I don't really, I know the concept, I've never done it. And the fans blew in my hair like Beyonce. And they said, oh, do you like that look? I said, well, the look looks great. I should turn it on for you to see. Yeah, but I'll do it because I'm not turning my air conditioning on in my house because you can't imagine what my, my electric bill is going to be, but I have the fans on. And I think if someone like Jack Bernstein is going to admit and do that, I'm hoping people say, wow, this is serious. She's okay talking about this and not doing that. I told one of my team, I said, I finished all the vodka in the house. I'm going to start drinking gin. Do you like gin? I said, no, but I have all this gin. It's a clear... It's a clear spirit. Let's try it. You're like, someone better send Jack some vodka. Because you, you make decisions, and those are just two. Maybe they're extreme or maybe they're weird. But I'm sure all of you listening made some decisions. I clipped my toenails probably for the first time, and I can't even imagine 20 years. I decided, because they didn't open up that up until July, I can't go get a pedicure anywhere. That's what we're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. um so we all made interesting de decisions clipping toenails sounds really gross but we all have to well, do I'm, it i'm, I'm glad I'm, that I'm, you are i'm a girl i'm right there with <laughs> yeah, you i'm glad I that people you. do that i guess yeah. <laughs> one pedicure in a, a year exactly. that's it but. so i mean I'm, that's crazy there's certain things that we had to make decisions to do my, my computer system now comes down at midnight no one needs first of all if i'm not still working after midnight maybe but there were days i worked till three and then get, watched the cnn and fox I switch back and forth. You don't have to know which one I normally watch. And then I would, you know, drive myself crazy and be working. It's all good. Um, so anyway, we all made big decisions. And I think that's important that we all don't forget that. No, I'm glad you said that because I think uh, a lot of people um, 
hide what it is. And, and it's really lovely to hear you talk about this. We hide those basic decisions because we don't want to give the impression that we're not uber successful, that we're not plowing through this, you know, all uh, unicorns and rainbows. And we're not. Just like you this whole weekend, I said, okay, if I'm out and about running errands and there's something I want to pick up, I'm going to ask myself, do I need it? If I don't need it, I'm writing that cost down and viewing it as a savings to help. Love that. That's even better. I like that. I stood in, I stood in the, in, in CVS or in supermarket and I looked at things and I said, well, should I get this price, that price? And I'm, I'm thinking, I hear about this. And I, it wasn't like we were rolling in it, but I don't think we just ever really thought so much about our consumption, but I knew what it was like to grow up that way. And it wasn't as daunting to make that change. And I think we all need to be smarter. Um, you know, I don't cook. I'm a nice Jewish girl, so I don't cook. But what do we do in this profession? We go out all the time. We, we dine and we experience. And I walk by people sitting outside eating thinking, wow, I used to do that. Like, I cannot even tell you the last time that I actually went out to eat unless someone took me because I see that as an extravagant expense. And again, we, this is not just lifting so quickly. I think we all thought the change of the calendar, maybe right. mentally that was helpful, but it is not changing so quickly. We need to be smart about it. I have to tell you that I have not been looking forward to 2021 for a while. I, 2020 was a bit easier for me to get through. I, and we had business. We did some very good uh, virtual business. But um, 2021, I, I just had this sense that people weren't really ready to commit. And they're not, especially now, really not knowing what's, what's in front of us. So just everybody's on stencil. And it seems like the longer we sit back, the harder it is to come forward to, you know, to do anything again. It's not even that, it's, it, when you say sitting back, it's not that we're sitting back on purpose, right? No, um, no. We, you could just, you could call your clients from A to Z. Hey, remember when we used to do the June meeting for your company every year? What's going on? Well, I don't think it's coming off. Something comes up, I'll, I'll let you know. And we're doing it virtual, but we have an internal team and we're not doing any entertainment that we used to do at the reception. Right. We're just going to have the meeting during the day, internal and not do anything. Because people said, how come you weren't as successful as others do all that virtual work? I said, it's not because we didn't sell it. I don't even think this was a climate to sell stuff. We told clients what we're doing. You showed them what you can offer. If they reached out to you and pointed you in the right direction, um, you know, you could do it. Um, it's, it was, it's, a, it's a waiting situation and making sure that you're still viable and being out there and ready and knowledgeable. Um, but again, in the corporate side, there are clients, you know, they're, they push things from last spring to the fall to this spring and now to the fall again. Yes. So, all right, we're going to stop right there because we're going to finish up this fiesta with Jacqueline Bernstein next week. All right. Okay. Listen, everyone, if you enjoyed listening to us today, please, please make sure to like subscribe and review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you have any event entertainment, engagement, or questions about anything we, we cover today, please email us at info at bolotta.com with bolotified in the subject line. That's it for now. 